Hello and welcome back to the official Sasta podcast with me, Harry Stebbings, at hstebbings1996 with two Bs on Instagram. It would be awesome to see you there. But today we're doing something very different on the show. The other day, a founder of an angel investment of mine said, Harry, you know, you have all these awesome shows, but if I want to learn about SaaS pricing, well, honestly, the content is pretty segregated and in a ton of different episodes. And I thought, huh, that's quite a good point, actually. Why don't we bring that together? And so today we bring you an episode that discusses the biggest lessons, experiences, and advice when it comes to SaaS pricing. From founders to investors to C-suite execs, on everything you need on SaaS pricing, it's in this episode. But before we dive into the show today, I want to ask you a question. Who has never had a bad service experience? I know I do all the time, and that's why you need customer. That's customer with a K, the next generation customer management platform that gives you a full view of your customer journeys, business process automation, and the ability to know everything about every customer driving informed actions. Customer tracks every purchase you've made, product you've returned, ad you've clicked on, or item you've tossed from your cart. Presenting it in a beautiful, always in context, omni-channel timeline view for the agent so that they can consistently and effortlessly deliver a really white glove service. But don't just take my word for it. People first companies like Away Travel, Glossier, Ring, and Rent the Runway already choose to work with customer and see significant improvements in customer satisfaction, retention, and agent efficiency. So go to customer.com, that's customer with a K, dot com, to learn more and ask for a demo. And now we have customer management sorted, your next crucial job is people operations. That could be hiring execs, developing managers, and retaining that top talent, and building a high-performing culture. And that's why you need Lattice. Lattice is the number one people management solution for growing companies, and helps companies like Asana, Reddit, and Cruise build a really strong company culture. And with Lattice, it's easy to launch 360 reviews, share ongoing feedback, facilitate one-on-ones, and set up goal tracking, and even run employee engagement surveys for that matter. Lattice is also the only solution that combines performance management and employee engagement so operators can make sure top performers are happy and Lattice is giving away three months of Lattice free to Sasta listeners just go to lattice.com forward slash Sasta to receive the full offer that's l-a-t-t-i-c-e dot com forward slash Sasta build an award-winning culture with Lattice the number one people management solution and finally bringing the team and the customer together as we have there as you know every week we talk briefly to a WePay customer about how they achieve success well this time we'll hear from Ryan Abel CEO and founder at Pay Rent. Pay Rent provides tools to make paying and collecting rent much easier for both landlords and tenants. Hi, Harry. In our culture today, it is easy to get distracted and sidetrack your business. It is important to set realistic and clear expectations for you and your team that ultimately align with your goals. I ask myself, if Warren Buffett were to watch over me, would he be impressed with my actions? My word, what a question that is, Ryan, and so awesome to hear that. And clear expectations are clearly one way to achieve success, as is impressing Warren Buffett. To find out how to successfully grow payments revenue by over 100% in a year, check out our Team Snap case study by visiting wepay.com forward slash Harry. That's wepay.com forward slash Harry. But that's quite enough from me, so now I'm very excited to dive into this pricing extravaganza today. Good. That's perfect. Okay, I think we're warmed up. So we're going to kick off today with a legend of SaaS in the form of David Scott, general partner at Matrix Partners, discussing the relationship between negative churn and price. What I've found by doing models um, of different businesses and working with different companies that have achieved this negative churn is that it is transformative to a SaaS business. So the top piece of advice I would give to SaaS entrepreneurs once they've gotten product market fit and are well on their way to understanding the sales and marketing process is that they should turn their attention to, to figuring out 
how to get negative churn, you know, how to find a way to upsell and cross-sell into their installed base. So even though they lose some customers, that ultimately they're still going to end up with more revenue from the cohort that began uh, when they, you know, they signed up that group of customers uh, a year later than they started with at the beginning. What does that do to the pricing axes? Excellent question. Yeah, well spotted, Harry, because that, that is, uh, you know, the first question I get from uh, many startups is, well, wait a second, we've only got one product and it, and it, it, it all costs $2,000. So how are we going to get more money out of those customers? If And this was actually the exact story at HubSpot. You know, it took us a while to educate ourselves about this. We had a, a single product that sold at $500 a month and there was nothing to upsell there. Um, so we couldn't go back to the install base and get more money out of them. So the first thing you realize with this is, well, how do we sell something more to them? The answer is there's two things you could do. You, you can take your current product and have variable pricing axes so that even though they're using the same product, you're not selling them something different, you're going to get more money from them as they use it more. And so a good SaaS product will have at least one variable pricing axis and possibly more. So a common one you'll hear is how many seats of people are using this. But in many cases, that's not a good metric because you don't actually add more users, uh, but you can be still be delivering more value. So in HubSpot's case, they chose to pick the number of leads that are in the database as a good method of determining how much value the customer is getting out of the system. So as you add more leads, you pay more money to them. You know, you'll find many different things. Dropbox, for example, uses the amount of storage that you're using as a metric for uh, increasing how much you pay them. And I'm sure all of you are familiar with different pricing schemes out there. But the, the important factor there is to look at your pricing scheme and ask if you've got variable pricing axes. Don't worry about doing this if you're a very, very early stage company, because actually in truth, in the really early stage, you just want to keep things simple and sign up customers. This is kind of a, a slightly it's like secondary thing you start to work on as you get a more mature and successful SaaS company. The second thing you could obviously do is you could add more products. So uh, you can have a pro version and you could have a enterprise version and you could charge more money for those. So you have different feature breakouts. But those are different versions of the primary product. Uh, and then you could have some, some add-on products, which are really you know cross-sells to a different thing. You're selling them a reporting module. I think ultimately when, when you look at mature SaaS businesses, even though the customers may not love this, mature SaaS businesses probably have to break their products down into lots of different modules and price that way. And the reason for this is pretty simple. You're going to find that some customers are very comfortable and happy to pay you $2 million a year for your product, and yet some other customers will only be willing to pay you $10,000 a year. So how on earth do you come up with pricing that lets you sell to both of those without accidentally finding that you're instead of getting the $2 million from the high-end customer, you're only getting $20,000 from them because you didn't come up with a good pricing scheme, which allows you to capture their willingness to pay you that high pricing differential there. And I think the way to do that is to end up with, um, you know, segmenting of the product into different elements that, you know, so you, you recognize that the $20,000 a year customer really doesn't need certain features, so you take them out, but you know that the $2 million a year customer, it's really important to them to have, you know, global security features or things like that. And you put those into the, the version that they, they want to purchase. Now we move to another very special member of the investing world in Chetan Puttagunta, general partner at Benchmark, on why the perceived move away from the per seat model in SaaS pricing. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that the Percy model is probably in the minority than in the majority. Customers are wanting to buy software in a way that aligns with their business. And as vendors and as companies and as startups, I think it really behooves us to to move in a pricing model that aligns with how the customer perceives value. And so you've got software companies that are pricing based on the amount of data. So they price per gig. You've got other SaaS companies that, if you're in analytics especially, that price based on events, right? The more events you track, that's how pricing works here. You've got other infrastructure companies that price on the number of servers you run the software on. Or even I've seen folks run it at even more granular level, like price on the amount of memory that you use, for example. These are all great ways to price primarily because one, there are a couple things that are important, right? Number one, you want to align with how your customers perceive value. And two, you want to encourage broader usage of your product. You don't ever want to introduce pricing and have the customer not be incentivized to use more of it because ultimately for your business, and you take a step back and you're like, obviously we would never do that. But when you're in the weeds and you've said, I'm going to just price proceed and that's just the way I'm going to do it, you can miss that larger picture of does this really align with how my customer perceives value? And so these are discussions that are happening in board meetings today. And I think that there is a, a lot of companies realizing that there's a better customer alignment if they move away from this per seat model. Moving swiftly to the incredible Mark Suster at Upfront Ventures, who's discussing his biggest takeaways and learnings from seeing the hyper-growth scaling of Salesforce and his take on pricing as a result. I'm going to give you one crazy insight and tip that was exactly reverse of what I would have expected. And I'm going to give you a second tip also. So my first tip is this. When I was pricing software, I always had the mentality to price as low as you can, get as much adoption as you can. And then over time, you would find ways to add features and upsell your customers. That was always what I was taught. Salesforce had a different mentality. Their mentality was to price high and discount. And there were really two reasons for doing this. One is the psychology of buying. Most of the people who are listening to the show probably really have never been salespeople before, have never been professional purchasers before, and probably don't understand the psychology of buying. The psychology of buying is no matter who you are, no matter how rich you are, no matter how senior you are in an organization, everyone wants to feel like they got a discount. They want to feel like they weren't being fleeced. So if I go to buy a car and the car costs $40,000, and if I end up purchasing it for $38,000, I feel better as long as I feel like I didn't do something stupid. If I later found out that everyone else bought it for $34,000, of course, I'll feel stupid. And people hate when they go in to buy something for $40,000, and by the time they leave, they pay $48,000. So Salesforce's strategy, as far as I could tell, was keep your price high and discount. And that helps customers through a negotiation process feel like they're getting, these are my words, a pound of flesh. And I always tell people everybody wants to get a pound of flesh. And if you go to both sides of the table and you Google pound of flesh, I've written a lot about this before in terms of how to negotiate. Number two is it's impossible to increase price. Once you lock in a price, customers hate paying more than that because they perceive that as the value. If you charge $59 
$50 a user a month, try ever raising that to $79 a user a month and you'll see you know, mass protests in your community. The beautiful thing about pricing high, let's say $150 a user a month and then offering discounts is over time it's easier to reduce the amount of discount that you apply to a sale and therefore in a way you're increasing price without people perceiving it and everyone buying still feels like they got great value. I wish we lived in a world where I could just say price X is what everybody pays. It doesn't work well with human psychology. The second message I want to leave people with here, Harry, is everybody assumes that Salesforce.com didn't care about professional services because they don't have a big professional services business. And frankly, that's just not true. In the earliest days, Salesforce had a philosophy, and that philosophy was customer success. And you could only build a great company if you had customer success because the number one rule of scaling sales is referenceability. And if you go and you sell a bunch of software and you expect clients to implement it fully and get value out of it themselves, without your help, you're fooling yourself. So in the early days of building a software company, you really need to put professional services against it. Most VCs will tell you not to. Most VCs are wrong. And what putting professional services means, number one, it means that you are more likely to have customer success and therefore referenceability and therefore future scalability. Number two, it's much easier to sell new product to existing customers than selling to totally new customers. So if you have professional services, you have people on the ground who can help you land and expand. Number three, it's a great profitable, scalable, early day revenue source for you. You're not going to be at 80% gross margin. You're going to be at 35 to 50% margin, but that can be meaningful cash to your business. And it's something that customers are willing to pay for in the early days, whether it's custom code, whether it's integration work, whether it's strategy, whether it's training. Now, here's the thing. Over time, as you scale, you just can't become reliant upon that revenue. It can't become crack cocaine. And so what happened to Salesforce is they had a reasonably big professional services organization until after they went public. After they went public, Wall Street started holding their feet to the fire over gross margin and pointing out that this business wasn't profitable enough. So what they did is it's not like they abandoned it. They spun it out and then they funded a whole ecosystem of professional services businesses with their cash to help drive customer success for Salesforce clients. So I should stop there or I may take the entire interview with no questions. Let me stop. (laughs) Now we're going to hand over to Amanda Clear, Chief Customer Officer at Figma, discussing some of the biggest lessons she learned from largely running the pricing playbook at Zendesk. Absolutely. I learned a ton about pricing. Most of the decisions in the early days, for better or for worse, were by gut instinct. In 2010, we made a pricing decision that helped inform a lot of subsequent pricing decisions for a while. And what we learned was that customers don't like pricing changes forced on them, but they are willing to entertain new prices if you give them a choice. So for many years, we decided that the price you bought into was the price that stayed with you until you upgraded your plan or added more products. And as a result, we changed our product strategy to consider things like add-ons rather than force customers into a new price for more functionality on their existing plan. At some point, we ended up hiring Simon Kucher, a consultancy, to help consult on a proper pricing research project. And they told or taught me a lot of things about pricing, in particular, leaders, billers, and killers. Do you know what those are? I don't know. Leaders, billers, and killers. Tell me. Yeah. So leaders, 
inner features are the main reason you would buy a package. So if you're going to go buy a Happy Meal at Burger King, you're going to buy it for the burger. The burger is the leader feature. Mm -hmm. And fillers are the nice additional things that you want as well. So the fries and the drink. Mm -hmm. And then killers are the features that actually devalue your bundle. Most people don't want killers, and so they feel like they're paying for something that they won't use and therefore shouldn't have to pay for. So if you had added, say, a cup of coffee to a value meal, that would be a killer because most people don't want a coffee as well. Some people might, but most people don't. And we really tried to teach the whole company about these learnings because we thought it was a valuable framework for everyone from product to sales to understand. Penultimate opinion on pricing now, and I'm delighted to hear from Brad Birnbaum, founder and CEO at Customer. So pricing is a really difficult thing, right? It's something that we wrestled with in the earliest days of Customer. We wanted to be innovative. We thought innovative pricing would be very important to us. We quickly learned as we started talking to customers that they didn't want innovative pricing. They wanted repeatable, consistent pricing that mapped through the budget they already had in place. Now, as we are going mid-market and above, we're mostly replacing existing solutions, whether it be Zendesk or Salesforce. So they already had a budget in place. So they, they just said, hey, uh, we have X amount allocated for a solution. Your solution is better. It's robust. It does more. But this is the budget that we have. So they wanted a pricing model that, frankly, mapped to the way they're accustomed to doing business. It was highly predictable. So while we wanted to think about doing a consumption model here at, at Customer, because we thought that was innovative, we realized our customers didn't want didn't want a consumption model. And frankly, what we have today is, is a pretty standard model. We have several pricing tiers of uh, different depths of functionality. And then people pay per monthly agent on an annualized basis. So it's a pretty standard model that users are familiar with or our customers are familiar with. And frankly, it's worked for us. We, pricing has not been a challenge for us. If anything, we're getting better at driving our ASP up quarter over quarter. The last three quarters, it's gone up significantly each and every quarter. And we're doing that by adding more and more capabilities into our highest level tiers. In this case, for us, it's ultimate. And frankly, we've started to roll out additional capabilities. We've rolled out our telephony solution that uh, our customers have had an incredibly high take rate on. We rolled it out last quarter and about 50% of our Q3 customers have adopted it already. So we're seeing customers are appreciating the more value we're able to provide and frankly are willing to pay for it. Can I ask, uh, in terms of the, the mid-market segment that you kind of really hone in on and do so well at, how do you think about the often cited terminology of no man's land in SaaS pricing? And is that something you'd strongly disagree with, having lived through this and scaled through this today? Yeah, so look, regarding no man's land, I actually think that 10K and ACV is where we see our growth business. So we have two parts. We have our enterprise business and our growth business. And the growth business is for deals that are closer to 10K and ACV, right? And we want to take them. We're seeing lots of inbound interest from customers who don't need hundreds and hundreds of agents who really appreciate what our solution offers them and they see the value in it and we don't want to turn them away and we also see that many of them start on the 5 to 10 to 15 seat size but have quickly expanded and grown. We've had really amazing success on that so we don't want to turn them away. So actually we've seen a lot of success in the 10K and ACB range around our growth deals and the expansion that's followed that up. So for us it's not no man's land. It's, it's been a great place to play. Our AACB is definitely higher than that but it's been a great place for us to play, acquire newer customers, and watch them expand with us. Finally, I'm very excited to welcome Guy Pajani, founder and CEO of Snake, discussing what really is a significant enough customer base, and then how to really think about kind of monetization and pricing alongside that. 
So I don't know if every industry is the same on those elements. I think for starters, you have to, to say that a good base is a sufficiently large user base that really loves your product and that gives you feedback to continuously do it better. So, you know, as a starting point, it needs to be a group of people that you can make loyal and that help you improve and that as you expand, you know, they will be your anchor. So you might still be mediocre in some other environment and you still be learning, but this core base would stay stable and would be more valuable. Now, at some point at the beginning, it has to be about product feedback and it has to be around, at the end of the day, we're startup land. So I run metrics that help you raise the next round or sort of have those relevant audiences. At some point, those metrics have to include revenue. I believe that when you offer an offering of a car that is freemium, revenue is like a second order metric. So you know, your first metric is about usage. It's about adoption. It's about just getting people and the virality maybe element of it, right? User acquisition around getting people on to the platform. And then they're on the freemium platform. You've evolved your product faster thanks to the fact that many people are using it, assuming you listen to them, and you build it out. And then using that base, you start learning how do you convert them to monetization. So what it means is that money would come later. You know, revenue would come later. But when it comes, it will be multiplied, right? It would grow faster. So I talk about when to expand. You have to somehow factor, first and foremost, feedback to the product and usage. But then you have to think about what are the metrics that would successfully get you to the next milestone. And, you know, I was fortunate that Ed and Elliot at Boldstart and also with the support of Canaan, they were very supportive for us. So they understood, you know, and Ed volunteered even like it's various points of time to say, don't distract yourself right now with revenue. We both know that's not the focus. Make sure that you get that user base, that you get that adoption. So whatever those metrics are, you need to ensure that you have them for the next round, that your investors are bought in and that you don't prematurely focus on revenue if that's not the right one. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we spoke about kind of adoption and usage there. And I, I do want to kind of have one final question on the product itself. We, we touched on MVP earlier also. In terms of feature prioritization, how do you think about feature prioritization decisions today? And that versus maybe technical debt and all the other intricacies that one has to think about when thinking about feature upgrade, feature prioritization, so to speak. It's really tough. Feature prioritization is really tough. Like in startups, at first you're trying to get, you know, one thing that catches, but then once you have that hit, then people ask you, you know, for everything. And there are a million good ideas and choosing the right one is really, really hard. So one thing that I would say is just users. So maybe I will say within features, there are three classes of features, right? There are features that get you into a POC or an evaluation. There's features that get you to win a POC or an evaluation. There's features that help a customer be successful, you know, after they've purchased. And different aspects of the product are more important. So you want customers to be successful. You can't just delay that last category to the very end, but it depends on what your problem is at a given time to prioritize your capabilities. At the very beginning, you need to get in. You need to be evaluated to be inspected, whether it's in a bake-off or if it's just online attention. So you want to build the capabilities, even if they're very narrow or very shallow, to get into an evaluation and have something compelling to offer. And then, you know, a second set of features is around delivering on that. You know, you actually need to successfully, once they've used the product, they want to continue using it. So you have to deliver on it. And oftentimes there's a core, core, like secret sauce that has to be there that they need to get hooked onto in that environment and then they need enough in the surround sound to be able to get through the POC. And then once they've purchased, they're going to start rolling it out. They're going to start using it on an ongoing basis. There's going to be a whole set of other capabilities that you need to build. And if you totally 
neglect those, then the customers are not going to stay customers for very long, especially problematic also in the land and expand environment. So at different phases of your life, you know, especially in the early days in startups, you have to maybe evolve from focusing more on the former to focusing more on the latter. For us today, pretty much every feature we build has a set of customers that have asked for it and we work with them and we build very, very tightly right alongside with them. And that helps us ensure that what we build is the right thing. And that's definitely how we prioritize features. We ensure there's always a set of features that we contain the amount that are more about the future. They're more about the vision. They're more experimental. Even then, we work with customers, but we might be the ones volunteering the idea versus asks from the customer side. Well, there we have it. What a pricing extravaganza. And I'd love to hear your thoughts and feedback on the episode today. Do let me know. You can find me on Instagram at hstebbings1996 with two Bs. Really would be great to hear your feedback to drive, really, our product roadmap going forward with the show. I do want to say a huge thank you to all the guests today that participated. And if you'd like to see more from us also behind the scenes, you can follow us on Twitter at Sasta. It'd be great to see you there also. But before we leave you today, I want to ask you a question. Who has never had a bad service experience? I know I do all the time, and that's why you need customers. That's Customer with a K, the next generation customer management platform that gives you a full view of your customer journeys, business process automation, and the ability to know everything about every customer driving informed actions. Customer tracks every purchase you've made, product you've returned, ad you've clicked on, or item you've tossed from your cart. Presenting it in a beautiful, always in context, omni-channel timeline view for the agent so that they can consistently and effortlessly deliver a really white glove service. But don't just take my word for it. People first companies like a Way Travel, Glossier, Ring, and Rent the Runway already choose to work with customer and see significant improvements in customer satisfaction, retention, and agent efficiency. So go to customer.com, that's customer with a K.com to learn more and ask for a demo. And now we have customer management sorted. Your next crucial job is people operations. That could be hiring execs, developing managers, and retaining that top talent and building a high-performing culture. And that's why you need Lattice. Lattice is the number one people management solution for growing companies and helps companies like a Asana, Reddit, and Cruise build a really strong company culture. And with Lattice, it's easy to launch 360 reviews, share ongoing feedback, facilitate one-on-ones, and set up goal tracking and even run employee engagement surveys for that matter. Lattice is also the only solution that combines performance management and employee engagement, so operators can make sure top performers are happy. And Lattice is giving away three months of Lattice free to Sasta listeners. Just go to lattice.com forward slash Sasta to receive the full offer. That's L-A-T-T-I-C-E dot com forward slash Sasta. Build an award-winning culture with Lattice, the number one people management solution. And finally, bringing the team and the customer together as we have there. As you know, every week we talk briefly to a WePay customer about how they achieve success. Well, this time we'll hear from Ryan Abel, CEO and founder at PayRent. PayRent provides tools to make paying and collecting rent much easier for both landlords and tenants. Hi, Harry. In our culture today, it is easy to get distracted and sidetrack your business. It is important to set realistic and clear expectations for you and your team that ultimately align with your goals. I ask myself, if Warren Buffett were to watch over me, would he be impressed with my actions? My word, what a question that is, Ryan, and so awesome to hear that. And clear expectations are clearly one way to achieve success, as is impressing Warren Buffett. To find out how to successfully grow payments revenue by over 100% in a year, check out our Team Snap case study by visiting wepay.com forward slash Harry. That's wepay.com forward slash Harry. As always, I cannot thank you enough for tuning in, and I can't wait to bring you another exceptional episode next week.